Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adam. Before we're done today, we're going to have a very funny golden shoe. That's the award we give out at the end of each show. <laughs> Based on what somebody had said to me about some of the stats I was kind of throwing around around about JT Daniels yesterday. So obviously I need all of you to keep me humble. I'm thankful that you do with your social media messages, things like that. We'll honor somebody for a golden shoe related to this before we're all said and done. But if you're kind of just joining us today, maybe you've missed us the last couple of days, let me kind of explain what we've been doing. So on the heels of the most recent NFL draft, we talked about the correlation that seems to exist between first round picks, you know, guys taken at the front end of the NFL draft on that Thursday night and going on to win the national championship. That it's a really good thing that Georgia has had so many draft picks and the next frontier for Georgia is to now take some of those draft picks and move them to the front end of the draft on the first round and if you can do that the odds are based on what we've seen from the last three national champions Clemson in 2018 LSU in 2019 and obviously Alabama this past year that if you can produce and the number's pretty high here it's like a half dozen or so but if you can produce like a half dozen first round picks off of your roster and that's not an easy thing to do but if you can do that then you have a very good chance of winning a national championship and Georgia just giving the natural resources the raw materials it possesses within the program certainly has the potential of doing that no one would guarantee that it's going to happen no one would bet their life on that occurring but in terms of if that's the threshold to cross over to win a national championship then Georgia obviously starts the season starts the preseason conversation in a advantageous place of saying there are plenty of candidates on this roster who might have a chance to do that so what we've kind of done with with that setup in mind is starting to look at some of those position groups where maybe that is true and where maybe some of that potential exists we talked yesterday about quarterback and what we did was on yesterday's show we kind of compared JT Daniels to the other top quarterbacks over the course of the last three years and say what are the statistical benchmarks that Daniels has to achieve to be as good in his big season coming up in 2021 as a lot of these other guys the Justin Fields and the Mac Jones and the Trevor Lawrence's quarterbacks who've been taking the first round Joe Burrow as those guys were in their big season what we kind of found out was that hey completion percentage looks really good yards per attempt number looks really good total passing yards if you project for a full season on JT Daniels based on what he did for four games last year for Georgia that looks pretty good there as well the one spot where we said yesterday that Daniels might be lacking just a little bit even if you project his prolific stats from four games over the course of a 15 game season Daniels still not quite throwing as many touchdowns uh, in a Georgia uniform as the very best quarterbacks have in college football over the course of the last few years so that's what we said about quarterback yesterday that Daniels certainly has a chance to be a first round quarterback this year that'd go a long way towards establishing Georgia as a bona fide national championship contender but there's probably an extra step that uh, Daniels needs to take to get that done so with that in mind here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort, let me talk about another position group here today. And I want to talk about the wide receiver spot here for a moment. Now, you already know this, but I'm going to say this anyway. It is amazing just how important the receiver position has become in college football. Not like it is a quarterback because there's only one quarterback, but the group of receivers that kind of lead the way for a team it's amazing how much successful play from that group of receivers has now become a huge part of the national championship formula. In fact, I did the numbers here this morning. If you look at the last 13 receivers taken in the first round, that's 
over the course of the last three years. 13 total receivers taking the first round the last three years. Eight of those receivers played in the college football playoff at some point in time in their college career. And a lot of those guys, you know, the huge collection of receivers off the LSU team in 2019, the Alabama team in 2020, um, a lot of those guys were kind of all kind of clustered there together. So big time receiving play, not just one guy. I mean, frankly, Alabama in 2020 after the 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 Jalen Waddle injury is a little bit of an outlier. You know, uh, last year, Devontae Smith essentially had two receivers worth of production in one year. That's not what most of this stuff kind of looks like. What most of this stuff kind of looks like is what you saw from LSU in 2019 when it was big year from Jamar Chase, big year from Justin Jefferson, big year from, you know, Terrace Marshall, on and on down you go. This cluster of wide receivers performing well together. In fact, I'll even include Clemson in 2018 in this discussion as well. Now, by the official metric, Clemson has had zero first-round picks from that wide receiver room thus far, but asterisk to this, uh, T. Higgins was the number 33 overall pick. Uh, that's you know basically a first-round grade, given how many uh, wide receivers were taken in that 2020 NFL draft. And Justin Ross, who has dealt with some health issues, still on the Clemson roster, he shows up plenty in early mock drafts for 2022. So in your mind, you may want to count Clemson as actually having probably two first-round wide receivers, even though by technicalities they don't really have any as of yet. But the point is, you've got to have a multitude of first-round level play at the wide receiver more than one guy doing that at that wide receiver spot to put yourself in the best chance to win a national championship and given where kind of the offensive numbers have been for Georgia thus far that seems like a really really daunting task but I am here today to actually present good news present optimism that maybe there is a brand new horizon on the way for Georgia when it comes offensively and I may not be the only one who feels that way you may have seen I know our buddy Connor Riley wrote about this for dognation.com ESPN has updated its no longer. And I always love this time of year when we go from way too early top 25. We're now out of the way too early area. I think we're now in the kind of the preseason top 25 realm here as we move through the uh, summer. And ESPN in its new preseason top 25 updated after the most recent spring games now has Georgia as the number three team in the country ahead of the team that will open up week one with against Clemson. But it is something that ESPN, the writer Mark Schlebaugh here, that he says about Georgia that I just really think if you polled 100 Georgia fans, especially those that really plugged in and paying close attention and really wanting the best for this program. This is the kind of compliment for UGA that Georgia fans have been longing to hear, longing to hear. And Mark Schleybaugh says it in no uncertain terms. I'll show this to you on the screen and obviously read it to you for radio and podcast. Schleybaugh, in writing about Georgia, says, even without George Pickens, who's obviously injured and we don't know when he's coming back, even without Pickens, Schleybaugh says, Georgia has plenty of playmakers on the perimeter. How about that from Schleybaugh at ESPN? First of all, the alliteration you love, plenty of playmakers, but the actual substance of the quote is the kind of thing that Georgia has been hoping for for such a long time. Not just it's George Pickens or bust. A lot of Georgia fans after the Pickens injury were afraid that, well, gosh, does this just remove Georgia from national championship consideration now that Pickens is not there? We said on this show, obviously it makes things harder, but it shouldn't end Georgia's pursuit of a national championship just because Pickens hurt, got, got hurt. And Schleybaugh who's been around the block a few times the fact that he agrees we take that as a really good thing and in the article at ESPN.com he mentioned the possibility of Marcus Rosemey Jackson coming back from injury more on that in a moment Dominic Blaylock coming back from injury obviously what Darnell Washington has shown you as a tight end uh, you can talk about Jermaine Burton there in a discussion like this the emergence of Adonai Mitchell we did so much of that discussion after G-Day that all of a sudden when you look at candidates for Georgia to have breakout season the kind of thing that Higgins and Ross would have 
done for Clemson in 2018, that Chase and Jefferson and Marshall and et cetera would have done for LSU in 2019, that Waddle and Devontae Smith were on pace to do for Alabama this past season before the Waddle injury. When you look at you know the collection of Georgia wide receivers who have a chance to try to get that done, all of a sudden the list of potential names is actually fairly long. Now, you already know they're not all going to pop that way and being as good as a Jamar Chase or as good as Devontae Smith you know that that may seem like a fairly daunting task and certainly a very far bridge to try to cross but in terms of multiple candidates for breakout seasons ESPN says that they're in bold print that yeah Georgia has a chance to do that and that is before by the way the news that we got here this week by way of video I'm gonna show you this on the screen for those of you watching many of you who are, who are listening uh, kind of maybe already seen this. Our, our folks over there, uh, great Twitter account, Go Get Fit, who kind of worked with Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint and have shared some videos with him over the course of his time coming up before he got to Georgia, now sharing maybe the most important video of, of Rosemey Jack Saint that we've seen. Looking great, running, seemingly you know pivoting and cutting uh, torque on the, those legs very uh, very easily. Obviously showing off a one-handed catch there as well. Y'all, I don't have to tell you how big of a deal this is to see this video and looking at Rosemary Jack saying like he might be ready to come back and play for you and doing that sooner rather than later. And this is one of those things where the video obviously speaks thousand words in comparison to words themselves. But as I said this morning when I made an appearance on 960 The Ref, the Athens Sports Radio Station, that what makes the Rosemary Jackson video all the more important is it coincides very closely with what Kirby Smart himself has said. I, I, we made a big deal about this at the time, and I'm glad we did because I think it was the right thing to do. That in talking about injured wide receivers coming back. Do you remember the word that Smart used when he talked about Rosemary Jackson? I remember it very well, and in light of the video you just saw – what Smart said then, I think all of a sudden now we've got to start taking this really, really seriously. This is Kirby Smart from back in the spring. The depth has taken a hit, obviously, with uh, with George. Uh, you know, Jermaine's been – he got to do Indy today. He's back running around doing some things. He didn't scrimmage, but he was able to do a lot more, and he's getting a lot more flexibility. You know, Marcus Rosemey is really close. Uh, he's out there running around doing walkthroughs, doing, doing conditioning. You see him on the side getting to run, and you know that he's – close to being healthy doms on the side running i mean kirby smart is a person that i think of as choosing his words fairly carefully to call a wide receiver quote really close to coming back from injury that's not the kind of thing that smart would say flippantly and all of a sudden when you pair those words with the video you just saw all of a sudden you believe it's true and, and not only that you believe what espn's mark schlebaugh says may be true there as well that all of a sudden there really is the potential for plenty of playmakers for george i don't want to sugarcoat this the task awaiting the Georgia offense is a big one. As we said on yesterday's show, if JT Daniels wants to be as good as the very best quarterbacks, he's going to probably have to throw more touchdowns, a lot more than we're used to seeing Georgia quarterbacks throw, and even more you know, on kind of a prorated basis than we saw from him over the course of a short term a year ago. But that job gets a little easier when you think about all the potential options available for Georgia there at that wide receiver spot. This is the kind of thing Georgia fans have been waiting a long time to see. But as you head towards 2021, dog fans may not have to wait all that much longer. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort, and glad to have you with us no matter how. You get to us today live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just so happy to have 
all of you with us here today. And a big thanks to our friends at Harris, Cherokee Casino Resort, for making it all possible. You know, I'm kind of restless this time of year. You start thinking about getaways and road trips and fun during the spring and summer sun. And really no better way to do that than just two-hour drive from where I'm sitting right now, the Harris Cherokee Casino Resort properties, whether it's the original location or Harris Cherokee Valley River. You're talking about, you know, totally reimagined gaming floor with social distancing in mind, uh, luxurious gourmet restaurants, world-class shopping, one of the most relaxing, enjoyable spots experience you can ever have the book is now open sports gaming now available there in the beautiful mountains of western north carolina entertainment on the way back there as well as we kind of get back to normal here in 2021 it is just a great getaway one that you should make plans to enjoy today it's harris cherokee casino resort or the harris cherokee valley river let me give you a website to go to to find out more information about this you can go to caesars.com slash harris cherokee that's caesars.com slash harris cherokee and you can find out a lot more about that you could even become a Caesars Rewards member and take advantage of all the great incentives that go along with that. All right, here on our program, we're getting ready to say hello to Mike Griffith in just a moment. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse. And as we do so, I want to go back in time to, I guess, what's been a couple of weeks ago now, that Kirby Smart, in making an appearance on the Paul Feinbaum show, was asked to give his thoughts on what's going to happen for Georgia Clemson, the big anticipated game. And Smart, given the fact that he's a UGA alumnus and someone who grew up in and around the history of Georgia football, obviously understood at the time what was at stake in a game like Clemson. Let me let you hear Smart talking about why that game going to be so big for his program, and then I'll say something on the other end of that. Here's Kirby. You know, it's a rivalry game, and you go pull your fan base, which is really the most important thing, and you look at your alumni base and you look at your financial supporters, you're saying, what do you guys want? And to a T, they want to see these kind of games. You know, the one benefit we found last year was playing the conference games only that was so important to the fans. They love those games. And uh, to go out and get a Clemson, which you know most of our uh, financial supporters and our alumni base, that's a game they grew up watching. They want that game. They want that game year in and year out. And that's probably the same way for Clemson. I think Dabo would tell you the same thing. It's a great opportunity to go out and play a really good program and open your season that way. So smart, certainly eloquent there in talking about the meaning of Georgia Clemson to start the year and maybe even bigger now given the flip-flop that's occurred in the ESPN preseason rankings as you move Georgia up at the expense of Clemson here for this upcoming season. And I guess the question you ask yourself is, is it appropriate that now Georgia is rated ahead of Clemson? And maybe if you want to start thinking about that, about point spread for the game, neutral side, you know, who do you favor over the other? How appropriate is that to, to look at Georgia as kind of ahead of Clemson right now? I think there are a couple things to keep in mind here. First of all, we did sort of predict this narrative months and months ago. If you'll remember, what we said, you know, not too long ago was that as you head towards the start of the season, it's easy to assume there are going to be a lot of questions asked about Georgia. Can JT Daniels get it done for the dogs? Can he grow into a quarterback the likes of which Kirby Smart hasn't had yet? And can the offense join the highest firepower teams in the country in relationship to all this? And what about the defense that was questioned after losses to Alabama and Florida a year ago? We knew that Georgia would go into the game against Clemson with a lot of questions, but what we predicted was don't be so quick to assume that the media is going to treat Clemson as if they have it all figured out. It is, after all, DJ Uyunglele in place of a uh, Trevor Lawrence and an offensive line that did not play well against Ohio State in the college football playoff and other issues here just of a roster that keeps putting guys into the NFL, replacing that talent on the roster becomes an issue there as well so we're not really surprised on this show that there are questions being asked of Clemson that are fairly similar at least in terms of the severity of them fairly similar to what's being asked about Georgia there right now too 
I mean, I guess in a way, just given the fact that Clemson has been a perennial playoff team, you could certainly approach this with the idea that Georgia still has more to prove in the game, but not a surprise to us that that folks are saying, hey, what's really going on there with Clemson? I do think it uh, you know, raises the stakes for the game. I do think, as Smart pointed out, it is an absolutely fascinating season opener. It's the kind of thing that makes the entire offseason go by a little quicker because you're just so excited about what's going to happen for Georgia there in uh, week one. But interesting to see from the ESPN story that I read to you off the top of the program uh, there a little earlier, bragging on the Georgia wide receivers, also bragging on Georgia in comparison to its week one opponent, Clemson. Georgia now rated ahead of the Tigers in that ESPN preseason top 25. Uh, That is certainly something interesting and worth paying attention. It's around the doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily. Let me also do this here really quick. We've been doing this, and it's been so much fun to be able to share this with you. I'm so proud to be able to do so. Our Kroger Five Star Mom promotion. How exciting is this? As we honor the moms that are out there in our audience, and so many of you, we've gotten hundreds of these submissions. And over the course of this week, we're giving one out each and every day. It's a collection of gift cards that go to the winner from our friends at Kroger. Uh, really good stuff all the way around there. Uh, great stuff. Let me uh, also honor today's winner, Susan Smith, Omaha. Nebraska. That is our Kroger five-star mom today. We'll do one of these again tomorrow and Friday there as well as the Kroger five-star mom promotion rolls on. Of course, don't forget you can treat your mom like a five-star there as well, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. When you check them out for brunch recipes, if you're going to be cooking or gift ideas, gift cards, greeting cards, all kinds of great savings on patio furniture, things like that. That's kind of a popular gift this time of year. So much going on for Kroger as we get ready to Mother's Day on, get ready for Mother's Day on Sunday. So please check them out. Kroger's.com slash Mother's Day to find out more about that. That's Kroger.com slash Mother's Day to find out a lot more about that. Okay, before we're done, we'll talk about a couple of Georgia players that had to have some rumors refuted on social media this week. That's kind of an odd situation, but it's kind of, I guess... Just par for the course in the times that we are in living in right now. We'll talk about that before the show is done today. But for now, on everything else happening around UGA, post-NFL draft, looking ahead to the summer, let's talk to Mike Griffith right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And uh, great to have uh, Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort today. Always Nice to get some insight from him about what's going on there around the Georgia program. And, Mike, I want to start with you where I was just kind of discussing a moment ago. You know, ESPN Top 25 kind of reissued post-spring here, and we had talked months ago that, you know, we knew that Georgia was going to start the season with a lot of questions. You know, JT Daniels next step at quarterback, offense overall trying to do that, Georgia trying to get over the hump win the national championship. We are not surprised that in stories by Schleybot ESPN or everything else that Clemson kind of also comes into that game with a lot of unanswered questions too, that a lot of the guys who've been the nucleus for national championships and playoff appearances for them, all of a sudden – Etienne and Lawrence, guys like that are now out of the uh, program. And listen, I still expect Clemson to be a top flight team, much the same way that I do for Georgia. But, you know, part of the thing that makes this game so big to open the upcoming season is the fact that both sides here, Georgia on the one, Clemson on the other, they both have a lot of unanswered questions, don't they? Yeah, clearly. I mean, Clemson's got a much bigger question with Trevor Lawrence moving on. I mean, that's that's their Peyton Manning, right? I mean, that's the best quarterback and. Clemson history, and you mentioned ETN being gone. So, you know, they do have some questions at the skill positions. We know they've got a, a really good defense, but, you know, this is a team Georgia should be. You know, JT Daniels is, is not brand new to college football. He's not brand new to Georgia. He 
played the last four games of last year, and, and don't underestimate the importance of that. I mean, you look at Mac Jones and the momentum he carried over from the year before. This is kind of similar. Um, you know, JT played enough where he's, he's the clear leader. Uh, he's the leader of the offense. He's the leader of the team. Uh, he's got experience. He's proven he can get it done. He's won in close situations. He's had to come from behind. Uh, the Cincinnati game, that last drive, I think that was a big moment for JT and his teammates and winning the trust and showing his poise and his talent, his ability to use all the weapons around him. So Georgia's got a big advantage. Uh, you know, what ESPN says doesn't matter to me. They're about a month behind us because we're right here covering it every single day. Uh, we, we're the experts. It's good they read our stuff and, and, and write it. Um, but this is nothing new. This is There's no new information out there. It's just it's good that ESPN and, and maybe some other national people are now they're kind of figuring out why we talk so much about JT Daniels this offseason. Well, speaking of Daniels, I talked about this on the show yesterday that if you start looking at those candidates on the current Georgia roster to be potential first-round picks next season, obviously one of the names that you would start with in a situation like this is Daniels. And what I try to do is compare JT the best that it can to quarterbacks over the course of these last three years who have been taken in the first round, especially those guys that were also Heisman finalists, because some first-round picks are kind of taken on the basis of their potential and their kind of projects, and that's not a great comparison for Daniels. But the guys like Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State or Kyler Murray from Oklahoma or Joe Burrow, Mac Jones, these quarterbacks that have also been Heisman finalists and put their team in the playoffs and in some cases won national championships, those are, I think, more appropriate comparisons. And what you see when you kind of average all those stats together on the low end for a guy like Trevor Lawrence who had 30 something touchdowns to the high end for a guy like Joe Burrow who had 60 is that these quarterbacks throw a lot of touchdowns and if you take the numbers that Daniels put up over the course of four games a year ago project that over the course of 15 games the one statistical area in which Daniels is probably still a little bit behind uh, the rest of that group is the expected touchdowns thrown. To me, you know, yards per attempt number looks great. Total passing yards, if you want to project it, looks great. Obviously, the completion percentage is in line with what a lot of those guys have done on the basis of those four games that he played a year ago. But the final threshold, I think, for him as a player, and certainly for Georgia, who wants Daniels to be as good as those other quarterbacks, is to really find a way to hit the end zone just a little bit more. And frankly, a lot more than what previous Georgia quarterbacks have done under Kirby Smart. Would you join me in saying that's kind of the next thing for Daniels to do? I'd say it's the next thing for Kirby Smart to do. I mean, he pretty much didn't play the fourth quarter against Missouri, and they shut it down against South Carolina. So, you know, you didn't really have a whole body of work, you know. <laughs> when you think about it, uh, you know, if those are four-quarter games, how different are they, right? They pretty much just ran the ball exclusively against South Carolina. What did you throw at 16? 17 times, I don't have the numbers here in front of me. I think if you go back and look, when's the last time an Alabama quarterback only threw 15 or 16 passes in a game? So I think that had to do with more with the system that he was taking over B.A. and game circumstance. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways this could go this year. You know, you look at the Georgia schedule, and other than Clemson, I don't think you really need to worry about outscoring somebody again. I mean, really, I don't think you're going to get pressed again after Clemson. Uh, until you play Arkansas, and, and I and I do take Arkansas serious. I just I just want people to know that I'm not saying Arkansas is going to beat Georgia, but I've got a lot of respect for Sam Pittman and the Hogs, and that's kind of the next game on the schedule that kind of makes me raise my eyebrows and go, okay, this could get interesting, or at least for a half. So the question to me is, what, what's going to happen in the third and fourth quarter for Georgia, and and how does Georgia want to do it? And let's be honest, how, how do they want to score against UAB? Does, does Kirby want to get Zamir White twenty touchdowns and prove something? 
I don't know. Do they do they feel like they got to get Jameer a thousand yards because he's a five star and he hasn't lived up to his potential yet? I don't know. It's window dressing. Or are you going to turn JT Daniels loose and throw to these receivers so you can recruit more great receivers and so you can change the image of the Georgia offense and make them a lot more attractive to great receivers so that Carson Beck, uh, so that future transfers, um, you know, so Gunnar Stockton or Brock Vandegrift or whoever. Are you going to change the face of the Georgia offense? And to me, it's window dressing because you can score any which way you want against those next three or four opponents that you play because you're that good. Georgia's that good. JT can do it any way you want. So I think this is more of a Kirby Smart question. Um, how do you want to do it, right? I mean, in the fourth quarter against South Carolina last year, you know, he chose to run the ball 13 out of 14 plays. What if he throws it eight, eight times and runs it eight times? Maybe there's two or three more JT Daniels touchdown passes. I don't know. Um, but, again, so to me, those are semantics. I don't think it's a question of whether or not JT can throw touchdown passes. Obviously he can. We saw him throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. when He hadn't played a game in a year and a half against Mississippi State. Uh, we saw him drive the team down the field, missing, you know, where they had three offensive linemen out of place. And I'm trying to think um, – you know, we, you know, uh, Jermaine Burton still wasn't quite uh, himself yet. I, if I recall, he was uh, limited because of some COVID. He had been out for a while, so the receiving core wasn't really, you know, full speed, so to speak. Um, well, Burton so had a huge I, game I against Mississippi State, though. Burton had nearly 200 yards yeah, that day. Yeah, he did. But but in the Cincinnati game, oh. I'm saying JT was kind of strapped because the offensive line uh, got manhandled because they were playing. They had three guys playing different positions. The normal with Ben Cleveland out, uh, Trey Hill was out, and, uh, and so that led to a shuffle where three guys were out of place, and the line got absolutely got their butts kicked by Cincinnati that day. Um, and, and then you had the interception in the end zone when he got hit as he was throwing on that opening drive because of the well, we won't get into all the details, but it wasn't it was not a banner day for Georgia pass protection against Cincinnati. But to your point, uh, listen, it, it, what does what does Georgia want to be? It's what it comes down to, you know. Do you, do you want to, you know, give Zamir White the ball, you know, three times inside the seven yard line, or do you want to let JT throw for a touchdown on first or second down? But I would say though, if you want to look at Alabama last year, and we've done these numbers before, they were running the ball plenty in the fourth quarter. In other words, the huge numbers that Jones puts up. I'm assuming some of the same stuff is true for Bro in 2019. These aren't, you know, like tack on touchdowns late in the game when they're already blowing teams out. They were scoring, as we've said before you know striking on early downs and early in the game on first and second quarter I think the point you bring up about you know could Daniels have padded his stats a little bit more against an overmatched Missouri team you know possibly so you know maybe even the South Carolina game you know provided some of that opportunity there as well but it's not like Mac Jones was throwing on every down in the fourth quarter for Alabama last year we've brought those numbers onto the show before yeah the difference is Alabama had game-breaking receivers you know and I think Georgia has good receivers but I don't think they have Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith all right, I don't see that out there. Uh, I see good receivers, but I don't see guys. Uh, I don't see Najee Harris in the backfield either. So much more explosive skill position players for Alabama when we look at you know first round picks that they're in that offense. Again, I think Georgia has good receivers, and I think they have good running backs. But it, I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we suggested that the Georgia receivers were on par with uh, Jalen Waldo and Devontae Smith. I, I don't see that type of explosion. Maybe Jermaine Burton will surprise me. Maybe he'll have that breakout year. That would be wonderful. Right now, uh, you know, as it was, he had a hyperextended knee, and, and hopefully he'll be back. Hopefully 
Uh, you'll see Dominic Blaylock come back and have a wonderful season after being out with a knee injury. I saw that we recently posted a story where Marcus Roseby Jack Saint was making some great catches. So I don't want to say that Georgia doesn't have good skill players. They do. They're good enough to win a national championship. But to compare them to Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, I don't see that, Brandon. I could be wrong. Uh, maybe they'll all evolve into those first-round picks. But I haven't seen that sort of explosivity. So some of it has to do, uh, you know, also, I, I don't think he's going to have the pass protection Mac Jones did. You know, Mac Jones, that Alabama offensive line, Georgia threw the kitchen sink at him. And now Z's got to Mac early and hit him on that early drive, and Richie LeCount came up with a pick. But it was a quiet day the rest of the day. Georgia didn't get to Mac Jones. I don't think JT's going to have an offensive line that's as good as Alabama's was last year either. Yeah, so I want to talk about the receivers here for a moment because obviously uh, Schleyball had some nice things to say about them at ESPN. I think a lot of folks were really surprised a couple weeks ago when you were as down on the UGA wide receiver group as you were. I got a lot of messages about that, to be frank. And I, I guess, I mean, obviously I would join you in saying it stands to be proven if uh, anybody in the Georgia room can be as good as like the very best receivers in the SEC have been in the last couple of years Waddle when he's healthy I mean obviously I wouldn't even count Devontae Smith in a discussion like this he had 1800 yards that seems to be kind of a moonshot for anybody to try to do but you know LSU had big numbers in 2019 those gigantic totals would obviously seem to be you know pretty hard to match just given how prolific those offenses were the last couple of years but like the one thing I do take comfort in is not any one name that I'm sure is going to have a great season but the fact that you know Kirby Smart has made it clear that that you know he does expect Jermaine Burton to come back after what was a little bit of a uh, scare during spring practice ends up being kind of a false alarm and you know a pleasant uh, update as of late on what's going on with Marcus Rosemey Jack saying and the possibility for Dominic Blaylock and even knows you know what Demetrius Robertson might be able to provide and I, I do take it serious that Adonai Mitchell was praised throughout the spring and then had a good G day. I can't point to any one name that I'm sure is going to have a great season, but I do like the fact, speaking as a Georgia fan here for a moment, I, I do like the fact there are so many potential names that could emerge here for UGA. I like the wealth of options available, even if I'm not quite so sure who's going to break out as of yet. Yeah, so I just want to be clear on a couple things. I, I, I never said I was down on Georgia, but I put into perspective the fact that JT Daniels doesn't have the receiving core that uh, Joe Burrow had when he won a national championship. Or the, now, you can say that's down, but I'm basically saying LSU and Alabama had historically good receiving cores, and Georgia's doesn't match that. You use the word potential yourself. All potential means is you haven't done it yet. So I'm optimistic that Georgia's good enough to win a national championship. I've seen the talents of these guys, but, it's, but I'm just not going to sit here and say that I expect Jermaine Burton to match uh, Devontae Smith or Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint to be the next Jalen Waddle. I think anybody that does that is you know, looking through Bulldog goggles. And, and, and listen, I'm all about it. I love the passion, but I'm just saying let's be realistic. JT Daniels does not have the support cast that Joe Burrow or Mac Jones had. That's all I'm saying. It may be the best in the SEC this year. It may be the best in the country. But we're talking about historical groups of receivers that LSU and Alabama have had. And all I said was it's just too bad that JT doesn't have that sort of supporting cast. Because, quite frankly, I'm, I, I've got questions about Mac Jones. What if you put Mac Jones in the Missouri offense last year? Does he still look like Mac Jones? It's a, you know, how many Alabama quarterbacks have we seen? You know, what did Greg McElroy get sacked 11 times with the New York Jets in one game? He was a national champion at Alabama. What about A.J. McCarron? What's his NFL career look like? So 
what I'm pointing out here is that your supporting cast has a lot to do. You know, poor Justin Fields. He never had to get to the second or the third read at Ohio State because the Big Ten sucked, and the first read was always open, right? So now they're questioning, why can he get to the second or the third? We don't know. He never had to, right? JT's going to have to. JT has already had to. JT has been sacked more than two or three times per game. He gets hit every game at Georgia. At Georgia. He's getting hit. Mississippi State hit him. Missouri pulverized him. Cincinnati hit him. The guy keeps getting hit. He doesn't have the offensive line that Mac Jones had. Now, I hope that changes. I hope we figure out who the left tackle is. I hope there's somebody playing guard that doesn't get run over like they did the whole G-Day game when JT had people in his face. That's not me saying that. That's the head coach saying that. So my only point, I'm not down on anybody. I'm just saying if we're, if we're going to compare JT Daniels to Mac Jones and Joe Burrow, which is what's going to happen when he's a projected number one pick, I think you wrote that story, you start throwing him out there as a first-round pick, everybody's going to say, well, let's see how he compares to Joe Burrow and Mac Jones. Okay, well, he's not behind that offensive line that Alabama had. And he doesn't have the receivers that Burrow or Jones. He's got good receivers, but he ain't got guys like that. And like you said, D.A., I don't know many people that have in my lifetime. Yeah, I think for, for most of our audience right now, though, they're, they're Georgia fans. They're not just JT Daniels fans. They want to see how the team itself does. And I think that you're right. I mean, as we said a moment ago, you're not probably going to see an 1,800-yard receiver at Georgia because you may not ever see anyone again You know, be quite as prolific as Devontae Smith was. If you start talking about the, the Jefferson Chase numbers from LSU in 2019, that also seems pretty daunting there as well. But Clemson won a national championship in 2018 with big-time receiver play but slightly smaller numbers. Justin Ross was, I think, at a I forget if his roster Higgins was leading receiver, but the lead guy had like a thousand yards. The number two guy had about nine hundred and something yards. And while that's not quite as prolific as what LSU and Alabama would do in the next two years, it is certainly much more than we've seen from a typical Georgia receiver. And to me, and we'll move off receiver play after this, Mike. But to me, that's sort of like the bottom base, you know, kind of baseline for this. Of I mean, we see a pretty strong connection between thousand yard level receiver and national championship level performance you got to have at least one and when you want to start really looking at it in recent years it seems like if you're going to use like 900 and something yards kind of a, a benchmark you got to have at least a couple of guys who are doing that so you know one way or another if Georgia's a legitimate national championship contender from the group of receivers we just discussed you better find at least two guys that can get you 900 yards otherwise you start not to look very much like what recent national champions have looked like well, let's hope that we're talking about a 15-game season. If it's a 15-game season, that's a lot more likely than if it's a 12- or a 13-game season. But I think one of the things Georgia has that those other groups don't have, because we've talked a lot about how those other groups have historically good wide receivers and explosive playmakers, is this tight ends room. I think this tight ends room is special. Now, John Fitzpatrick, we've joked before, he's done more interviews than he has catches. But but he's actually a very good target. It's six foot seven. He's got reliable hands. I think the reason you didn't see him more in the GTA game is because I think you're going to see him a lot against Clemson. I mean, JT said this is a guy he likes. It's nice to have a six foot seven guy that can catch the ball. I, I think we also all agree that Darnell Washington is a freak of nature. When we talk about LSU and Alabama teams of yesteryear, they didn't have anybody like Big Zero. They didn't. I, I'm trying to think, and I bragged about this guy two years ago because I thought he'd be a breakthrough the first year, and he had the little knee issue that slowed him down. I think this guy is just 
I, I think he's a red zone nightmare for anybody. I, I do good luck. Good luck stopping this guy in the red zone. I just don't think you can do it. He's his own pick. He's his own pick play. He's just so big, and and you saw Carson Beck hit him with a touchdown in G Day, and, and Brock Bowers, the unicorn from California. I mean, this kid's got a forty inch vertical. Kirby Smart ain't out there throwing to a freshman tight end for the heck of it. I can tell you that. You know, when the head coach mentions you as a true freshman, that's big words because Kirby doesn't throw bouquets very often. So they've got some special guys in the tight end room. And, and then the receivers, the backside of the backfield. You know, James Cook is very skilled. Kenny McIntosh is very skilled. Uh, I think Kendall and Zamir have proven they're adequate, adequate catching the ball. They're not stone hands guys. So JT, while maybe, and, well, there's no maybe about it, while he doesn't have a Devontae Smith or a Jalen Waddle or a Chase, what he does have is a ton of variety. In every game, Todd Munkin gets to sit there and play chess and say, all right, where are our best matchups this game against this team? There's no defense designed that can stop everything. I think even the 85 Bears lost once. So there's always, the defense is always giving you something. So here's the million-dollar question, B.A. Can those receivers, can those tight ends, can those backs, can they get up to speed where they can keep up with J.T. at the line of scrimmage when he makes those adjustments? that he has to make at the line of scrimmage when he's flying the jet and he's changing the runway or he's changing the altitude of the approach? Are these wide receivers, tight ends, running backs going to be able to stay up with him on an aptitude level and say, I know what he wants me to do now. We just changed this. We just adjusted, not changed, but more adjusted this. That's the question is can JT be in sync? And it's not whether or not JT knows the offense, as we saw with Jake Brown in 2019. It's can the receivers can Cortez Hankton make sure that these receivers are on the same page? Can Todd Hartley make sure his tight ends are on the same page? Can Del McGee make sure his running backs? This is where the coordination comes in. This is where the offseason matters. And this, to me, is where the championship for Georgia will be won or lost. Let me just squeeze in one final thing here really quickly. I've uh, kept you long. We've gone a little long on this conversation. But uh, Major Burns announced this week that he's entering the transfer portal. I think Burns has a chance to be a player. This is just kind of par for the course for this time. You know, we're kind of in a transfer age right now. You know, a lot of the SEC news that I'm following each and every day is certainly transfer-related. That's just kind of the way that things are right now. I And I guess Burns for Georgia, the latest example of that. But he may not be the last example uh, when it comes to just this age in which we live right now. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, you look at Major's case a little bit closer, and you know he lost his dad before he came to Georgia. There's a lot of pressure from home for this kid to produce. You know, what's disappointing to me is that I believe Major's next man up, right? right? Behind Christopher Smith and Lewis Seen, the next person up is Major Burns. He's that close to playing on a championship team. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you LSU can't compete. Certainly, they can compete. But as far as the pressure goes and the pressure he feels for his family to produce, I think going back to LSU, and if I had to guess that's where he'll end up, I think there's going to be a lot more distractions and even more pressure because you're closer to home. I'm concerned for Major Burns, the person, that this this decision was made with the best intentions but will have the worst results. And and that's unfortunate you know, because here's a guy that's worked hard to earn his spot at Georgia, to put himself in a position to be the guy who would have definitely played a lot, who could have launched himself into the NFL. If you watch the NFL draft, you saw, what, uh, you know, four Georgia players drafted out of the secondary. I think we all agree D.J. Daniel would have been drafted had he played more this year, if not for the ankle. Um, so that's unfortunate to me that he left a situation where he had the expertise of Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp 
and uh, Jamal would die. Now I know that I know that LSU has a good secondary coach as well, but I think he walked out of a really good situation. Now again, I'm not in his shoes, and I don't know what's going on in his personal life. And I think COVID BA plays a role in this. I think COVID has made it harder for the kids that are away to be at those schools away from home. They've been away a lot because of COVID this last year. They weren't able to go back and visit as often as they normally would. And I think that's put a lot of stress on the family relationships. And we talked about this. We said this was going to be the result of it. We already saw it in the signing class. We saw more in-state guys, I believe. So I think this is somewhat of a continuation of that. And then you mix in the one-time transfer. Now, what we don't know, and we'll find out this month, I think we're all anticipating that the SEC will lift that one-year waiver. But as things stand, to transfer within the SEC, they've reverted to the old rule, where as things stand, you would have to sit out a year to transfer from one SEC school to another. Now, we'll see if that rule changes. I think a lot of people believe that it will. They don't believe the SEC can be the only, uh, the outlier there and be the only conference that does that in the spirit of what that rule is intended for. Um, but at this point, uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned for Major. And you know what? Who knows? You know, he hasn't announced another school yet. Uh, maybe he'll give it a second thought. Maybe Kirby and, and Muschamp and Jamal Adai, I know that his teammates want Major to stay here. Um, you know, maybe before all said and done, he'll end up staying at Georgia. I don't think that process is complete. If I had to guess, though, LSU's trying to get him. All right, Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here on our program today. We'll look forward to reading a bunch from you at dognation.com. And, of course, chat with you again there very soon as well. Appreciate it, B.A. Thanks, man. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I hope all of you in your life are as lucky as you should be to find someone in your life who will love you as much as Mike loves JT Daniels. I, I hope that at some point in time in your life, you're able to experience that. And obviously, I like Daniels a lot, too. I think he's a tremendous prospect. But the idea that that Daniels is, is you know, a superstar without equal on a Georgia offense that he's dragging along, kicking, screaming, you know, offensive line, wide receiver, everything else. I'm not quite so sure that's my assessment of the situation. Obviously, there are unanswered questions for Georgia within every position group uh, along its offense, but I would say that for Daniels, he's got some of those there as well. And so, you know, the idea that it's impossible for Daniels to have a whatever quarterback you want to compare him to like season because somehow Daniels doesn't have those same kinds of wide receivers. I do think it's really important to note that in retrospect, obviously Jamar Chase looks like a historically good wide receiver. And in retrospect, Devontae Smith looks like the kind of guy you ought to name an award after. And, you know, you'd say the same thing about Jalen Waddle when he was healthy there as well. But going into their college careers, I'm not quite so sure you would have said that about them. I mean, uh, Devontae Smith was like a player ranked outside the top 60, according to the 24-7 sports composite when he signed at Alabama. Uh, Jamar Chase was a wide receiver ranked outside the top 80, I think, when he signed. He still, these are still top 100 recruits, but this is not this is not the can't-miss of can't-miss prospects. Even you know Jalen Waddell himself was not a five-star and obviously not, you know, recruiting rankings aren't the end-all be-all when it comes to stuff like this, but it's just sort of important to know that that the kind of historic nature of the performance of those receivers, I think, is kind of crafted by the way in which we saw them perform in the offense they played in and the quarterback that was throwing to them there as well. So, so it's not just the receiver's job to make JT Daniels better. It's Daniels' job to make the receivers better there as well because I think you saw some of that relationship on both sides in 2019 in LSU and uh, 2020 in Alabama. Maybe just something there to kind of keep in mind. As we roll into our SEC through here, boy, there was a lot of chatter yesterday about a very 
the, the social media message itself was not funny. Just the way that it was received was funny. So Auburn, you know, new coach Brian Harson, obviously new staff. Guys like Derek Mason as defensive coordinator and Mike Bobo as offensive coordinator, Will Friend as offensive line coach. And these guys have obviously, a lot of this been in Georgia, by the way, have history of working with a bunch of guys. And Auburn threw this on a graphic and kind of put this up for everybody to see. And 82 combined bowl games coach, 152 combined years of coaching experience, the graphic says, 30 collective conference championships. And you see a lot of the players they've coached. And you see guys like Todd Gurley or Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, uh, you know, even uh, Isaiah wins on there, former Georgia players. And obviously a lot of the uh, Georgia fans saw this graphic and were very, very upset that Auburn was trying to take credit for, you know, Georgia players. And obviously that would seem to be with good reason here. And look, we're going to be honest on this show. Last year, Georgia did something similar with Scott Cochran, given the guys that he worked with at Alabama, to be fair. We said at the time that we didn't really think this was a great thing for Georgia to be doing because we didn't really feel like Georgia had to be doing this. Now, we also said that a little bit different than some of these kinds of graphics you've seen before, we were fairly confident in saying the Alabama players liked Cochran so they wouldn't publicly criticize uh, you know, his name and image and likeness being used with a graphic in connection with them. Maybe a Gurley or a Stafford or an Isaiah Wynn will speak in on this and think it would be really good if they did. But here to me is the bigger problem for Auburn. You guys got to watch this really, really closely right now. The Auburn program has really fallen off from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Auburn is coming into Georgia and getting an Owen Popo or someone like that. And obviously, you know, some of the guys that Auburn have gotten recently, like a Tank Bigsby, for instance, they look like pretty good players. But this is not quite the the recruiting power that it once was. They are doing very little to keep pace with a Alabama in-state, of course, and even a, a longtime recruiting rival like what you would think of with Georgia. And so I think part of the reason why a graphic like this from the new Auburn coaching staff gets so much negative attention, so much mockery on social media is, is the Auburn coaching staff right now is not really doing a very good job of giving Auburn fans something else to talk about. I mean, what is kind of the the signature persona for Brian Harson in his early days as Auburn coach? Does anyone really know that? I mean, he was a guy that won games at Boise State. I don't think anyone questions his ability to coach. But when you come to a place like the SEC – you got to have a little shtick to go along with that. You can't just be, hey, this is a guy that really knows his football because the assumption is everybody who's coaching at the SEC level kind of also knows their football. And I think the reason why a, a graphic like this gets so much negative attention is is that Harson's not really doing a very good job of giving his own fans very much to talk about right now. Remember the, the Dennis Dodd story from CBSSports.com a few weeks ago where Dodd was asking, uh, you know, Harson about, you know, Alabama and Harson kind of fired off the, well, you know, calling Alabama the school up north. And, you know, a couple problems with that. First of all, the idea of, oh, I'm not going to say the name of my rival. That's been done a thousand times and it's been done better by people years before now. The idea that you're going to be the coach that doesn't say the name of Alabama and that somehow makes you edgy and cool. No one thinks that anymore because people have been doing this for a long time. The other issue here is, is that Tuscaloosa is only by the smallest of technicalities even north of Auburn. It's really more to the west of Auburn, as got pointed out by a lot of folks there in the state of Alabama, which only kind of serves to magnify the fact that Harson is a geographic outsider to this region. He doesn't even know the, the cardinal directions of his own state right now. And this is a guy that's supposed to plant a flag recruiting the SEC and the tired graphic of, hey, look at what all of my assistant coaches have done working other places 
That's the problem is too much of the Auburn coaching staff right now is known for where they used to work and not known for anything they're doing on the recruiting trail at the moment. Now, they just got there. I totally understand that. But there is not a whiff of momentum at all coming from the Plains right now, and it is hard not to notice that. A couple other SEC through stories to get to here uh, just for a moment. By the way, this is actually kind of big news. Uh, Tennessee has added a pretty good linebacker out of Texas, Jawan Mitchell. This is a guy that had four and a half tackles for loss last year, 62 tackles. I think he may have been, am I right about this? This seems like a low number, but I think he may have been Texas, like one of their leading tacklers, if not their leading tackler uh, a year ago. Tennessee's obviously got about six dozen roster spots available. So the idea that they could go get a promising player like this is not a huge surprise. They have all the playing time that you want, and they can certainly you know provide that and package that. So my guess is, is this is not the last one of these we're going to hear about, is that Tennessee adding a player who has played well somewhere else, including in this case, a fairly high-profile player in, in this example coming from Texas. Here's the issue for Heupel. And, you know, situation may be somewhat similar for Heupel than it is for Brian Harson, other than the fact that Heupel's got an even bigger hole to dig out there from at Tennessee. So here's the challenge that Heupel faces in his first year in Knoxville. you got two things to do. You've got to find a way not to be embarrassing this year, which means you've got to bring in as many transfer players as you can as a way of just fielding a team that doesn't, you know, lose 10 times. So you you've got to you've got to at least avoid that if you can if you can. But simultaneous to that, and this has actually nothing to do with the transfer players you bring in. Simultaneous for that, you've got to also build something over the course of the long term there. So at Tennessee, if you're if you're hypo, you've got to have a short term vision. Vols fans can't stomach another embarrassing season. You know, they've lost to Georgia State recently. And you've got to have the long term vision of how do we start bringing in young guys who are going to develop over the course of years. And the problem is the presence of transfers makes the young guys feel a little anxious. All of a sudden they start looking around there too. So it's a tough needle to thread for Josh Heupel right now in Tennessee, but there's no doubt by adding Mitchell, the linebacker out of Texas, they have certainly added a player who can play. I was going to do an SEC through thing on this ESPN Top 25. Uh, I, I may save that and do that tomorrow. We're running just a little bit long here today. Let me go ahead and wrap that up. Make that your SEC through. Instead, as we turn our attention now fully back to Georgia as part of uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort here today, I want to um, mention a couple of things that have kind of popped up on uh, social media as of late. As I said before, we're kind of in the transfer portal age. You know, I've done a fairly substantial about face on this going from being someone who was kind of in favor of just let guys go play where they want to to all of a sudden now this is bringing in a level of chaos for the sport I'm not quite so sure is good I think an example of this are the couple of you know Georgia players who this week have either had somebody on their behalf or them themselves have to kind of go out there and kind of quiet down some social media rumors which one want to show first here first of all Tate Ratledge on uh, I guess Twitter yesterday we put this on the Dog Nation Instagram page you can go find that there so Carson Beck tweets something and who knows half the time why anybody tweets anything it kind of gives you the yo peace sign there <laughs> and apparently there must have been a reaction to that because beck later on deleted the tweet right so uh tate ratledge and i, th- I liked connor Riley's tweet about this that ratledge doing like a good offensive lineman and protecting his uh, quarterback there had to go on twitter to say y'all calm down he's not leaving he's not going anywhere the calm down part of this advice is probably pretty good there from ratledge i think it's really important that georgia fans not overreact to everything that pops up on social media right now 
because there is going to be a lot of that. And if you care about Georgia players and their families, then I think the thing that you want to do is make things not uncomfortable for them if you can help that. You know, not you know putting them in a situation where they're constantly having to go out there and refute every single rumor. In fact, uh, Rachel Sherman, uh, of course, a lot of Georgia fans get to know her through the recruiting process a couple of cycles ago, uh, goes on uh, Twitter to say that um, – the scallywag who started the rumor that um, Mikhail Sherman is entering the transfer portal, that's a lie. She said that we were the first family to sign in December of 2019 for the class of 2020. She, she, she says, dog nation, keep calm. We are family. You like the idea of that uh, reference there. She says, this is home. So a lot of uh, Georgia folks having to kind of refute some of these rumors right now. Certainly glad to know that some of that kind of stuff is just overblown. But maybe Georgia fans should also, you know... <laughs> Let it breathe here for a moment before we crank up the uh, the, the rumor cycle a little too much there. All right, as we uh, get ready to wrap up here today, we'll try not to do our we'll try to do our part not to contribute to too many unsubstantiated rumors on this program. Also, we've been doing our part the last couple of days to kind of try to put some statistical benchmarks in place for who might make the first round next year off the Georgia roster. We had a lot of this on JT Daniels yesterday, maybe a little too much. I got a very funny tweet from somebody. I want to make this the winner of our golden shoe here today. It comes from Daniel Jones. Uh, The meme you've seen before of kind of the crazy-eyed guy with a bunch of stuff on the wall. It says JT Daniels predictions, Brandon Adams, and Daniel writes on Twitter, this is what I imagine I looked like when I was describing the JT Daniels predictions yesterday, and that is probably to a degree what I felt like I looked like. All kinds of stuff going on all over the place, and every now and then it's kind of nice to be kept humble there, so I appreciate that. You are the golden shoe winner today. Congratulations, Daniel Jones. By the way, Gator, Hater, Countdown, 178 days. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Of course, R.S. Andrews can be found online rsandrews.com. They're the source that you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs, and a lot of commentary to get to today on the topics at hand over the course of the last couple of days. I'm going to go through here and uh, get some interesting tweets here first. Uh, our buddy Mad Dog Wangin on the Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint video. That was a very good thing to be able to see. Let's see what else is going on here on Twitter. Of course, at Dog Nation Daily, the place you can go to. You can write a message and we'll read it here as part of the podcast cool down, or you can do that on the pages of dognation.com there as well. Uh, Cowboy at P Edward 75 on Twitter shared the Peter Burns tweet of the 2021 NFL draft picks faced last college football season. I do think this is a really important thing. This kind of ties into something that I got, um, you know, a lot in terms of the, the draft discussion that Georgia faced 43 draft picks last year during the regular season. Alabama faced 42. Texas A&M faced 41. Clemson faced just 34. Notre Dame, 32. Get down to Ohio State, which made the college football playoff, having faced just nine draft picks all season long. Now, in fairness, it was a shorter season for Ohio State. But this should not be forgotten that the job of Georgia or really any other SEC team is just made the more difficult because of the talent level that you're playing. And so when you're trying to get over the hump and win a national championship, think about how good you have to be just to be able to get that done. I mean, case in point here is when LSU won the national championship in 2019. Think about all that they had going for them. Yet they go on the road to Tuscaloosa and they win that game by what, less than a touchdown? That after all 
of the historic success they enjoy, it was still just enough to win on the road at Tuscaloosa. The threshold that you have to cross over in the SEC is just much tougher. It's the reason why I think SEC teams ought to get the benefit of the doubt, that second SEC team potentially making the playoff. Whether it's A&M last year or Georgia in 2018 or whoever you want to think about there, I think there's often an argument to be made for a second SEC team, but somehow we seem to get and by we, I mean those who care about college football, seem to get a degree of amnesia about just how much more talented the SEC is than the rest of the leagues and just how much more battle-tested the typical SEC team is in comparison to some of those other teams outside the SEC. At this point in time, I believe that's just an objective truth. Now, you can say, well, I'm biased. I live here in SEC country, and that's certainly fair, but I think the onus is on someone else to argue for the other side because the data seems to back up that point pretty clearly as uh, Cowboy shares there on Twitter. Our uh, good friend Allie weighing in, uh, Allison here on Twitter to say, sometimes on the cool down I talk about the show going too long, a concern that I have, and Allison says, you can never run too late for me on the podcast. Uh, the, she says, the cool down included. If you were ever to pull a fine bomb and stay on air for four hours, I'd listen to every minute of it. I can't get enough Georgia football. Well, Allison, I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing that, and I really appreciate you listening. It's been nice to get some good feedback on the cool down here. You know, we had kind of done the podcast the same way for like, more than five years and so i'm always hesitant to make any kind of changes after something's been in place for such a long time but it seems like the cool down adding that to the podcast has been well received uh Diedrich frazier also sharing a note from graham coffee on twitter that of the percentage of players who were drafted by kirby smart after finishing all their eligibility it's 100 percent of the five stars 62 and a half percent of the four stars 25% of the three stars, and you compare that to a tweet from College Football Data, which says overall the the expected numbers for the total population lower than that. Just 62% of five stars get drafted, 23% of four stars, and just 7.5% of three stars. So Kirby Smart's obviously doing something right based on that data, and I appreciate Diedrich Frazier sharing that. Our buddy uh, Sugar Ray apparently doing some uh, good breakfast work there. Oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, biscuits and gravy. Boy, that's uh, that's good stuff all the way around there as he enjoys some Dog Nation daily. And by the way, Lamar Lovelace has also been in the news here a little bit this week because it was Lamar that uh, had the tweet from the Sherman family about MJ and the refutation of that transfer rumor. So Lamar's had kind of a busy, busy week here on Twitter. He was kind of all over the place with the Sherman tweet and also showing up here in our podcast cool down there as well. So good stuff there. A lot of folks coming in on the pages of dognation.com as well. That's another place you can go to interact with the podcast, cool down. Dep Dog weighs in. He says, here's a good point about the got to have so many first-round picks discussion that we've had on the show the last couple of days. Uh, a recent analysis I saw was mind-opening about what Saban does, maybe better than anyone else, keeping players in school. I think something like five of those six first-round picks were seniors. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember the exact number, but it's certainly pretty close to that. These were guys that have been in that program since 2017. You know, these, were, these were veteran players. I think you're right about that, Depp. He says at Georgia, nope, that's not really the case. So the bottom line, guys coming out early, especially when there are injury concerns, rather than coming back for a year when they have the option, makes a big difference in their draft stock. And he says, listen, sometimes you may have personal family situations that make a, a decision something different. I certainly respect that. I think the Depp is right to bring that up. I'd also say that, and I don't know this to be true, but it's one of those things that you can't help but wonder about. After the 2018 season, when so many offensive players left, when it was Riley Ridley and he you know, was drafted late or 
Isaac Nana left and he wasn't drafted at all, or you know, even McCall Hardman, who was a second round pick. Now Hardman's kind of turned into a big time pro, so you can make a case that he made the right decision, but he also wasn't a first round pick. And then the same thing with Jake Fromm after his junior year, when he left with his draft future very much up in the air about just exactly how attractive he'd be to NFL scouts. Unfortunately, the thing I'm kind of left to wonder about some of those juniors who left in 2018, 2019 is were they just unsure that they were going to come back to an offense that was going to get the most out of them? And I hate to be that way, but I mean, there were some substantial questions facing the Georgia offense. You almost wonder if if they kind of fell prey to to some of that of, well, I'm just not quite so sure this offense is going to showcase my talents. Now, for some of the defensive guys this past year, you can say, well, maybe Tyson Campbell got some bad advice, but the truth is he was taken number 33 overall. You know, there, there's a very good chance there were lots of franchises that actually had a first-round grade on Campbell, and it just worked out that the numbers game of cornerbacks taken ahead of him moved him to the second round. But, I mean, can you really fault a guy who ended up going number 33 overall and, you know, obviously had a, you know, you know, very good chance of uh, of moving up a step on that. But clearly, the point that Depp is bringing up, I think, is a good one. That by comparison, it does seem like Georgia's had a harder time getting guys to stay in school, whereas Alabama just seems to be really good at that. And the honest truth is, I don't really quite know why that is, other than the speculation I had before about maybe Georgia offensive guys were a little skeptical of the offense. If you want to go back two or three years ago, as far as, you know, Alabama and how they've convinced guys to come back to school I'm, I'm not quite so sure I fully understand all of that uh, Venom GA does point out though that coming back to Alabama they know there's a huge chance of being in the playoffs and the championship games about every other year and that is probably you know to a degree true there as well that the prestige that Alabama has going forward as a program may also convince guys to stick around and stay in school there as well uh, Venom may be right about that uh, dogs on top also going back to the conversation that we had yesterday about the hype around Jane, uh, JT Daniel saying I hope that hype exists for a great reason but let's not forget this time last year talking heads had Jamie Newman in the Heisman discussion so let's pump the brakes and certainly a little bit of skepticism to some of this hype is probably well founded although Casey points out that you know the issue with Newman's la Newman last year was certainly COVID related whereas you don't expect any kind of weird circumstance like that this offseason at least you hope that's not the case and so pretty good rebuttal there from uh, Casey uh Don Medeiros also weighing in to say uh, that maybe some fear of competition there for Newman I guess we'll never fully know all of that it was certainly a unusual set of circumstances you know as recently as August of last year Jamie Newman was the sixth favored sixth best odds win the Heisman Trophy he and he and Mac Jones each had 12 to 1 odds in August. That's less than a year ago. It's amazing how things have changed over the course of just that short period of time. And our commenters are kind of right to bring that up. Really appreciate you being with us for R.S. Andrews podcast. Cool down today. Make sure you find them online at rsandrews.com. They'll get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. That is a very good thing here during this very hot time of year. Hope you have a great day. I'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. I look forward to talking to you then, everybody.